You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 14, Find Rest for Your Souls. That passage in the middle of Jesus talking about his yoke and burden being easy and light at the end of Matthew 11 uh, is the overall theme of today's episode as we talk about trauma. Um, When we think about trauma, we probably think about a major crisis, uh, natural disaster, um, soldiers coming back from war. Uh, But really, there are many traumas and categories of trauma that affect people, and that includes our students. And when students deal with trauma, um, it can have a huge impact on, obviously, their image, their identity, but also their faith. And answers and approaches to faith and who God is that we might think are good and solid and can't be misunderstood uh, might be terrible for people who have experienced trauma to hear in certain ways because the way that they link the idea of a good father with who their father is or God being sovereign over a situation when that situation was awful and it scarred them for life, how we approach those issues Um, need to be done delicately, um, not in a false way. We need to be able to stand behind truth, but we need to be able to show that truth with love and care. So my guest on today's episode is Paul Ward. Uh, Paul works up in Indiana at a youth facility uh, for those who have experienced trauma. And we talk about students um, who enter his care Um, what they experience, and even what some well-intentioned ministers and people who have tried to help those students have ended up doing, uh, which is causing more trauma uh, when they are trying to help those students. Uh, I need to give an explicit warning on this episode because several of the things that Paul covers, uh, it's some really heavy stuff. It deals with self-harm, sexual assault, drug abuse, different things that can be pretty shocking and triggering uh, to especially young listeners, but even those maybe who have experienced those things in their lives or the lives of people that they know. So please uh, listen to, to this episode with caution and awareness of that content. Let's go ahead and hop into the conversation with Paul. Paul, thanks for hopping on the podcast with me today. For those who don't know you, could you give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you're up to these days? Yeah, uh, my name is Paul Ward. Um, I am the uh, spiritual life coordinator uh, at a a youth residential treatment facility. Um, People don't know what youth or spiritual life coordinator is, so I I use the term chaplain. That's I do chaplain work here. Um, They just have a different job title. I have been in ministry 
uh, for about two decades now, which is crazy. I'm getting very old. Uh, the vast majority of that has been in youth ministry. Um, I've done some worship pastor and associate pastor stuff as well. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's probably a good baseline of who I am and kind of some of the background that I have. Very cool. Very cool, man. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, we'll be talking about the presence of trauma in the lives of our students. Uh, if you have listened to even one or two previous episodes, you know that the mental and emotional health of this next generation is crucial to the purpose of this podcast. I don't need to list stats and studies for the fourth or fifth time. At this point, it's difficult to be unaware of the tidal wave of triggers and internal struggles many of our students deal with on a daily basis. Several of them are unique to this current generation. So Andy, what led you to your current position working with these students and what have you witnessed or tried to help them deal with as they've entered your facility's care? What led me to this facility is um, I have a passion for youth, obviously. I, probably everybody listening to this podcast does. And over the years, I have worked in different settings. So I've worked in ministry. Sometimes it's been bivocational. So um, one of the times I set up a career transition program uh, for at-risk youth at a high school, local high school. Um, and I've done, done work in uh, prisons and things like that as well. And so I've seen the impact uh, that trauma trauma has. Um, one of the guys at the prison that I worked with um, said this this phrase that stuck with me, and it's it's pretty popular, you know, hurt people hurt people, right? And that's, right. that's, that's a true statement. And um, as I began to work with people who had suffered severe trauma, it, it became more apparent that that is, that is the case. And so when this position opened up, I, I knew that God had, had been preparing me for something like this all along. And so it seemed like the absolute right fit for me. And, uh, and so, so I came here and, and it's challenging at times. Um, we have students that come in here, uh, every, every student or every kid that comes in our facility is court ordered to be here. Um, and so, so you can imagine they're already significantly into the the process. You know, this isn't a place, some facilities, some treatment facilities, parents can drop their kids off or, or other family members or other organizations can bring kids in and say, hey, they need some help. But by the time they've come to us, this is, for, for a lot of kids, this is a last stop before jail or prison. Um, and so they're already in, in deep by the time they come here. Um, most of the things that we deal with. I don't know how familiar you are with the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences study. I've definitely heard of it. I'm not too aware of the details yeah. of it though. It's it's a study that was done um, initially back in the early 90s in California, um, linking uh, traumatic events in your your childhood. And when I say childhood, I'm talking zero to 18, uh, you know, as a minor. Traumatic events in your growing up to health risk factors later on. And so they found that the more uh, trauma you experience, actually the worse health you have as an adult. And what that's whether you pick up um, at-risk behaviors or not. It'd be really easy for me to say, oh yeah, if somebody grew up around mom and dad doing drugs, they're more likely to do drugs. So yeah, they're more likely to have health problems. But even the people who don't engage in the risky behaviors still have uh, increased health risks. Um, so there's more going on with the trauma that we experience and how we live, how we feel, how we act. 
And our kids have, every single one of our kids have significantly high ACE scores. So we're dealing with, with kids who have had most of the time, not just one traumatic event, but multiple traumatic events um, over a period of time. And so you can imagine um, the things that they come in with. Uh, we've, I've had kids that have watched their parents die of drug overdose. Uh, I had a kid um, a couple years ago on a Christmas Eve. Um, I was doing Christmas Eve communion, and, and one of the kids asked afterwards if I could come and talk to him. And he had told me he had just gotten in the facility. He told me that he had watched a f- just watched like a few days prior to doing this communion. He had just watched his friend shoot himself in the head, um, and he's the caught his body and blood all over him. And he's the one that called the police. And oh my uh, gosh, yeah. So there was there was stuff like that that just um, you know kids that that have been uh, beaten by their parents or, or other people who are supposed to take care of them at, at really, really horrendous ways. Um, not just simple, you know, oh, they, they beat them a little bit, you know, when they got drunk or whatever, which happens. But we have some that they, it, it comes down to almost torture, you know, and that's just, it's, it's really, um, unfortunately, it's more prevalent than I would like to have imagined before I started working here. Um, you know, that's not every single kid here, but that that is a, a significant number of the kids that we have here. And so we obviously have counselors and therapists that work with the kids. And so my role in this uh, is if the kids want to engage in spiritual activities, if they want to engage in, in a faith journey while they're here, um, my job is to facilitate that aspect of it. So I try to work with the counselors as much as I can. Sometimes I get called into treatment team meetings. Um, and if the kids have positive uh, religious experiences and positive religious role models, we try to plug those into the kids while they're here. Um, and then also, obviously, we go through um, the Bible. We have like little church services and Bible studies and things like that on campus. And my thing is to just be with the kids as much as possible and correlate the Bible to their actual life as much as possible. Um, the kids that we're working with here are like, almost completely unchurched. So they might, grandma and grandpa might've drug him to church, you know, a time or two. I just had a kid today I was talking with who uh, said she had, you know, her grandmother took her to church, but her grandmother passed away. And so she never went to church after that. And so uh, she was talking about how she felt like God might be mad at her and things like that. And so we went over the story of the prodigal son. I'm like, you know, do you remember when you went to church with your grandma? Do you remember learning about it? She's like, honestly, I don't remember any of it. So um, that's that's the most of the kids that I'm working with. Where when I worked in a church setting, most of the kids that were there like grew up in church and knew all the Sunday school stories and things. But the church I work, with, the kids that I work with um, day in and day out have, for the most part, once in a while you'll get the kids that do know, but for the most part they don't know anything. And so it's kind of a cool thing to see their eyes light up like, oh, that really relates to me, you know. Um, and see how they kind of get excited about how the Bible actually does impact their lives and how God does love them in the midst of all of this. Um, they understand grace at a different level, I think, sometimes than than maybe other people do. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's a really good breakdown. Um, you know, I think a lot of us uh, in ministry, whether you're at a large church, small church, urban or rural. Um, 
nowadays, I think we are more aware of not only the presence of mental and emotional issues, but the stigma maybe that the church has had against good treatment of those. And um, something that still comes up with current issues, excuse me, are um, usually approached with a blanket statement of just preach the gospel. And I understand the intention behind that. Um, But I also know that the gospel has been being preached for a long time, especially in this country, and yet we have these issues. So either the gospel has not been being preached at all, or it has been because God has used great people to tell his love and truth. But there are other issues, and we need people who are gifted and talented and trained to help handle those. There's no shame in getting help um, for issues that you have. In fact, uh, leaning on each other and depending on one another is sort of what the church is all about. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I, it's a really good uh, reminder just to hear even just some quick stories and descriptions, uh, Paul, of what, what you're seeing where God has placed you. Uh, one thing I've learned on my own ministry journey and exposure uh, to good health practices is that teachers, pastors, youth workers, and parents, for the most part, are not professionally trained counselors. Uh, Biblical counseling is certainly different from trauma counseling. And even when people have years of experience speaking with children or teenagers, what those in trauma really need are people who have been trained for those specific categories of issues. Uh, Can those people I just listed still be helpful in ways? Absolutely. But God has gifted and provided training and professionals. uh, And although that stigma that I just mentioned uh, with the church uh, is fading, it's still a battle that is sometimes strangely difficult to fight. Uh, so Paul, have you experienced any examples of trauma in students that have come into your facility caused by well-meaning adults with good intentions, but they had bad methods that maybe resulted or led to trauma for those students? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that happens a lot. Um, I, I, I do a a kind of a seminar thing and I call it do no harm because we're super well-intentioned people, you know, in youth ministry of, you have pastors, volunteers, um, you know, whoever, who really want to help, who really want to be there. And sometimes when we're not careful, we actually do more harm than good. And so that my whole seminar that I do is focused on that alone. But I think the big thing is that we need to recognize our lane and stay in it. Um, it is a big one. Um, realize that there are good people out there that God has given gifts and graces to do counseling and therapy. Like that is a spiritual gift from God to be able to help kids through those things. And if you're not gifted in that way and you haven't gone through the the study and the education and the experience to do it, then don't do it. <laughs> Definitely refer people into your, your community. Um, and that's something as, as ministries, that's something else that I try to to teach and hit on is that we need to collaborate with our community and our community resources as churches and as youth ministries and as any kind of ministry that you're working in. Um, I'm fortunate that I have counselors here on, on site all the time and the kids are working with them on their own schedule and all of those things. Um, but I have kids for me, it's not kids within the church as far as uh, the, the stories that I hear or the, the comments that I hear. It's usually from, other 
well-meaning individuals, either family members, teachers, or, or other people in their lives. Um, because most of them, like I said, aren't very churched, but they'll, you know, they'll say things, even if they're talking about like spiritual things, right? They'll be like, you, we've all heard the thing that, oh, everything happens for a reason and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, like, okay, so my dad raped me 16 times and God wanted that to happen, right? Like that's, that's really damaging to a kid. And so if we're not careful, what we end up doing is re-traumatizing them. Yeah. Um, we, if I tell somebody who had this horrible event happen in their life that God intended for that to happen, then what I'm doing is I'm re-traumatizing them in a way where now not only the the uh, person who did it to them is the problem, but now God is like redoing it to them. And that that's a huge problem, not only for their mental health and well-being, but also for their spiritual health and well-being. And so we have to be really careful um, to not re-traumatize and lean on those who have, uh, like I said, more experience and more education and more gifts and graces in those areas. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a, um, a sad, but very powerful example. Um, our students work with some refugee students, um, a little bit South of our church. Uh, Dallas has a lot of, refugees. And yeah. uh, there's a mission trip that we usually do out in East Texas where we do essentially a day camp with them. Um, and several of those kids have stories just like the one you told and, and other ones. And so um, being able to enter their world and understand that the gospel is more than just good behavior and memorizing Bible verses. It's mm-hmm. an entire life perspective and approach to what it means to receive grace and mercy, to offer it to others, to love others well, to listen instead of filling the space with your own advice. Um, as, as a longtime youth worker yourself, um, what are some things since you started working there that you sort of realized, hey, when I worked with students at a church, you know, if the, the, this problem came up, I would handle it in this way and do that. And then once you started working at your facility, you realized, hey, maybe that and that was good uh, and it was well-intentioned, but maybe it actually kind of hurt students. Did you have any of those realizations as you've been there at the facility? Yeah, um, I have. And that's what kind of encouraged me to start reaching out to churches and other um, organizations to try to help kind of educate them on some things. Because, yeah, when I came into this this job um, at this facility, um, I learned a whole lot more about trauma and what trauma actually is and how trauma actually impacts people and what the symptoms of that are long term. And, um, as I've learned more about that, um, yeah, I go back and reflect all the time. I'm like, oh man, I should have handled this differently, or I could have handled that better. And, you know, it's, it's what we do with what we call the troubled kids, right? That's, that's really where this, a lot of this fleshes out. So I think one of the things that I would do differently and I do differently now is I teach or preach differently. And so I keep in the back of my mind that there are kids that I am talking to, like when I'm preaching to a group of them, that I'm talking to that have experienced significant trauma. And so when I preach, how am I being sensitive to those issues? Now, for me, it's really easy because I know 100% of the kids that I talk to every week 
have significant trauma. But in your youth group, if you're a youth leader or a volunteer or a youth pastor, in your youth group, you might not know. You may sit, be thinking right now, if you're listening to this, you might be thinking right now, like, I don't know any kids in my youth group that have trauma, or maybe one or, or something. But statistically speaking, you have at least 25% of your kids have experienced some kind of trauma. Yeah. So there are some in there, whether you know it or not. And so you should be aware of that as you're teaching, as you're, you're showing, you know, how Jesus reacted and how we should react. And we're talking about how the Bible impacts our lives. You know, be aware of those things as you're preparing your lessons. That That's one thing. But the other thing is, um, I would say two, um, two perspective shifts for me that, that I think we should make as youth leaders and, and as pastors and teachers and leaders. Um, our initial reaction when we have that kid, that trouble, quote unquote, trouble kid that um, comes in, our initial reaction is what's wrong with them. That really is. Um, you know, I've, I've told them 15 times that they can't bring this thing into our youth group, you know, and they keep bringing it in or, you know, like here we are trying to have a good camp and this kid's, you know, smuggling tobacco or whatever into the camp. And so like, what is wrong with this kid? Like everything could be good if they would just obey some simple rules, some obey some, some simple guidelines and, and instead they're ruining it for everybody. And, and sometimes our, our mind goes that way more often than we'd like to admit probably, but we have to get to the point where we're not saying what's wrong with them, but we're saying what's happened to them, right? Like I said at the beginning, hurt people hurt people. Um, it's not an accident that 95% of the males in prison were abused as children. That That's not an accident. Like the kids that come into our youth groups that are acting out, that are misbehaving, that are breaking rules, that are um, causing problems, they're kids who have been hurt somewhere along the line. And, and, and maybe there's some exception to that, um, you know, with a, a mental health disorder or something, but even in that case, then there's a mental health disorder or something going on. Right. right? We have to be aware that the kid, the student, the teen is not the problem. There's another problem. Their behaviors are a symptom of something else. So, so we need to, to shift because that will change how I react to a kid if they're acting out in the middle of a group or an activity or, or an event, um, it will, it will impact. Now it, I gotta be clear here. It doesn't mean that we can't have clear rules, right. That have to be obeyed and followed. I'm not saying that I'm not saying don't enforce the rules, but in how I approach that kid in the enforcement of those rules and even how I design, um, my policies and procedures for my youth group, you know, will all be impacted by that. Yeah. And then the second perspective shift that I would encourage us to take is to not try to fix anything. Um, and, and I'm, I don't know if this is a gender issue where males do it more than females or just a personality issue where I do it more than, but I'm a fixer. You know, I think my there wife, are a lot of fixers in ministry in general, but I think in youth ministry, I know mm -hmm. we're geared toward relationships and all that, but setting up things, doing things, having to follow a structure. I know me, I definitely want to fix things. There have been more men that I've met who've had that characteristic than women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, man, for sure. 
yeah, my wife does all the time. She's like, hey, this is going on, this is going on. I'm like, oh, well, we need to do X, Y, and Z. She's like, I don't, you don't need to fix it. I'm just telling you what's happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So, and we do the same thing when a kid comes in and they have issues where we think they might have problems or that we want to figure it out so we can fix it for people. Yeah. But we can't always do that. Uh, again, this comes back to staying in your lane. We're not always the person to fix it. And so what we have to do is go from a fix it mentality to a walking with mentality. That's I need good. to learn how to walk with people in their struggles, walk beside people in their problems. And it doesn't mean I'm walking with them and like dragging them to a better place. And it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, forcing them to go one way or the other. It means I'm really just being in it with them. And that changes a lot of things when people realize you're not there to to try to tell them what a terrible person they are and how they need to live a better life. Um, you're really just being with them. And and the best example that I have of this is um, that I see this at least in scripture is Jesus uh, walking with uh, the two disciples, um, well, two followers. I don't know what you call them at this point, but two of his previous followers on the road to Emmaus after his crucifixion, right? I mean, he could have easily just in that moment said, hey guys, it's me, I'm, I'm risen, right? They're depressed, they're upset, they've been through trauma at that point. And he walked with them for seven miles. It's a long walk and talked with them um, and then got invited into their home and sat down with them. And it was, it was in that doing life stuff that the truth was revealed right? Mm -hmm. That Christ was, Jesus didn't stop being Jesus. He didn't stop teaching the things that were important. And he didn't stop teaching even on that road. It said that he was revealing things of scripture to them, but he wasn't trying to fix in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. He was just being with them in their trauma. He's being yeah. with them in their depression. He was being with them. And, and I think there's a lot we can learn from that. We need to trust God to be God, to do what he's going to do. Cause whenever I try to do his job, I screw it up. So let him do the healing. Let me just be there and be a conduit for that. If that's what he's going to do. Yeah. Uh, the uh, verse that I mentioned in the intro, uh, my yoke is easy and my, and my burden is light. You know, I think sometimes uh, subconsciously, probably not consciously, hopefully, but subconsciously we think, well, it's easy and light because I can give these students structure and I know all the rules and I've been through it. So yeah, just do this and you'll be great. Right. Mm -hmm. And what happens when we trigger that unknown hidden trauma within them? What happens when we are ignorant to how our words, even if the idea is great and needed, how we present something um, based on whatever's going on mentally or emotionally, that student might not be able to process what we just told them. And so they take it and do something else with it. And then it makes it worse. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that verse where Jesus ends uh, Matthew 11, I think that is a concept that we still wrestle with no matter how many classes that you've been in, how many degrees in seminary that you have, like it's, what does it mean that it's light? Because we know he also said, you know, get rid of everything that you have, give up who you were, pick up your cross, which means you're a dead man walking and follow me, depend on me. How is that easy, especially for our 
individual American ideals. And um, I think a lot of it can help shed light on how we should approach trauma and mental and emotional issues, not just in students that we have, but in uh, issues that we have that we haven't dealt with. Uh, I think in ministry, I think we're getting a little better uh, about it lately, but self-care has never been a thing that's been championed well for those in ministry. Um, I think more than the senior pastor should get a sabbatical. I think there needs to be good, appropriated time uh, to separate yourself, to unplug, um, to do whatever you need to do. Maybe it's a retreat. Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's just being able to once a week lay in your hammock and read and turn your phone off and let everyone know like, hey, for these two or three hours, I'm out of touch, right? Um, We need to be able to care for ourselves. And uh, as I talked about with my buddy Scott several episodes ago, uh, being able to seek counseling yourself um, is something that's very valuable and most of the time overlooked, right? Well, I haven't experienced any trauma or I'm not depressed, so I don't need any any counseling. And I think every human on earth to some degree could benefit from counseling. Yeah. Um, and so it's not even just trying to recognize it in our students, but we're bringing it to the table ourselves because we also have our own emotional baggage, uh, things that trigger us, that are difficult for us. Everyone has strengths, but everyone also has weaknesses. And some of those weaknesses are rooted in our past, right? And that's what you get to see with these students. Now that past is more immediate and something that just happened, right? And you're a stop on the way to more severe consequences for for these students. But um, you get to slow down with them. Uh, You get to exercise a pastoral role that probably a lot of us in regular vocational church ministry are envious of because you get to, uh, in more ways than one, do life with these students in a way that we really can't if we're with them on an hour for Sunday morning and an hour on, on Wednesday night, right? It's, um, it's a degree of doing life with students and being able to walk with them through some heavy, dirty, terrible stuff um, and being able to really see the healing, resurrecting power of Jesus in them and being able to share that with them. And that is just one really great example among many of why the gospel is more than just turn or burn, right? It's so much bigger than that. And I think, Paul, the work that you're doing and you get to be around that atmosphere, people who are working toward that goal of um, we need to depend on each other. No one person can do something by themselves. And most of us, most of the time, are out of our league on a lot of things. But if we try and be Superman or Superwoman and power through it, not only will we cause more detriment to that student probably, but also we're fooling ourselves and thinking that we've solved something because we've quote unquote fixed it and we can't see any more troubling signs. So it's out of sight and out of mind, right? And I'm maybe painting a picture uh, that's a little more negative. And I'm not saying all youth workers are just like, let me just fix this and do it. But overall, I think we need to spend more time on the sort of issues that you're talking about while realizing that we're not the professionals to solve it. And we need to listen 
guide, make contacts with people who can really help and do more than we are able to because that discernment and discernment is key when you're trying to exercise a pastoral role, right? It's not fix, it's shepherd. That's what the word pastor means. And so to be able to shepherd them well, to look after them well, do the best thing for them, pull them out of the mud when they're stubborn and don't want to be there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We need to be able to lean on each other. Um, And so it's good to think about not just what our students are going through, but what we've gone through, what we're telling ourselves and how we're bringing that into the equation of trying to minister and help these students. Yeah. And Uh, I think what you said there is really good. Something that we went whenever new employees come in here, they have to go through a trauma informed care training. And one of the first things they say in that training is know your own trauma. Before you can work with these kids, you have to know your own trauma. You got to know what your triggers are. You have to know where your weaknesses are. You have to know those things because while sometimes we get frustrated with the kid, like you said, in that one hour a week, these kids are always here (laughs) and like it will, your trauma will come out if you have not dealt with it. Yeah, exactly. And the same thing happens in our, our youth setting, our church setting And, and something else like, I think people get this feeling sometimes if I'm going to refer somebody to a counselor or a therapist or something, then I'm somehow diminishing my, the value of my work. And, and that's not really what it is. And I I think when we really begin to understand this, it frees us up. It takes this, like you said, the burden off and makes it light. And the fact that there are really good counselors, they're really good therapists, they're really good, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists out there to help people with these issues, but they're not, in the streets looking for them, right? They have to wait until somebody gets referred or or something along those lines. And we, if we're really doing ministry, we're doing life with these kids. We're doing life with these families Mm -hmm. and we can see those things. You know, I had a girl early on in youth ministry at a church that I was working at who um, told me that she was cutting herself and she hadn't told anybody else. And I was young and stupid and didn't know what to do, but I, I leaned on some people who were more experienced and, and gave me some guidance in that situation. And, and what I did is I, I told her, I was like, you need to tell your parents. And if you don't, I will. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's much better if, if you do it, you know, so they can hear you on this, but we definitely need to make sure that you're getting care that you need. And so, so that was turned into getting the parents involved, get, turned into, you know, uh, recommending some, some therapy for that. And, and that was a good experience that I, it wasn't my wisdom. It was somebody else telling me, you know, this is probably how you should handle that. And it, and it ended up being a good way to handle it. But, um, the counselor that she ended up seeing or the therapist she ended up seeing never would have found her had I not been involved in that, that person's life, that person's family in the ministry context. And so, it is vitally important that I was there. It was vitally important what I was doing. So, so when we refer somebody, it's not diminishing the value. If anything, it's increasing the vitality or not vitality, the importance of, of the ministry and the work that we're doing. God is using us to connect people to healing resources. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, people try and be the hands and feet and eyes and mouth, but uh, we need each other, right? That's why, yeah. you know, the eye says to the ear, I don't need you or, you know, all those things. And we need each other. And I love that picture that, that you painted because it's, if we're handing something off, that means that we're inadequate and we can't handle it. But really, we were the step before that, that if that didn't happen, who knows what would have happened with that student or with that person. Um, and um, one of the best studies I ever did in youth group was when I was in junior high and we did a study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And that really helped widen my vision on uh, God using circumstances and people, not just me sitting and reading scripture and praying, which are super valuable and needed. But just like the gospel is more than just one or two verses, living the Christian life and seeing where God is at work is broad and involves a lot of people because the church is composed of a lot of people who God has blessed with talents and gifts and placed them in their specific roles and it's all with a purpose. And when you get to see that link, like you just talked about where I could hand uh, this situation with the student off to this professional because God had placed me here with their family and I knew them at a level where the student was comfortable sharing it with me. And then thanks to the wisdom of others, I could then help her go with others who could help her better, right? It's all with people who are around you and that's the way the church is designed to work. And so when you see that, it's like, man, so just for a glimpse, you got to see one of the many reasons why God has placed you, that counselor, those people that you asked advice for all together for that purpose to be able to help her, even though we're surrounded with, and you're very much aware of this, Paul, with where you are, we're surrounded with reminders that things are not as they should be. Things are broken. Uh, sin has corrupted everything in creation. And yet God being sovereign over it all, even with situations uh, that you previously went over that just blow our mind. And um, luckily we're not God and it's not up to us to answer those questions uh, fully because there are several things that we won't understand this side of Jesus coming back. But um, it is our role to listen, to love well, and say, you know what? You don't have to understand to be able to still help and listen. And if you're angry at God, God can take it. He can take your anger. He can take your emotion. Uh, Jesus got angry. Jesus got sad. Um, he wasn't just a stone cold robot and neither are we, right? That's not the way we were designed. And so to turn off your emotions is to deny what it means to be fully human and made in the image of God, because that's what he gave us. Uh, Adam and Eve were not void of emotions. Um, and so for us to be able to realize that and how it affects our, our ministry, yes, in hard ways, but also it blesses our ministry in great ways because we can sympathize, we can listen, we can care well. Um, it allows us to be a more, uh, have a more holistic approach, a comprehensive approach to the body of Christ working together and uniting for the sake of those who are hurting and less than and need the love of Jesus, but also need physical things, right? If you've fed the hungry, then you fed me. If you've clothed the needy, then you clothed me. 
Um, so, so Paul, let's uh, let's conclude by talking about good habits to establish in ministries. We've mentioned them throughout our conversation, uh, and maybe some resources available to those with students in their care who are truly struggling. And you've mentioned a few of these already, but um, what do you think would be beneficial for any youth workers who are listening to know or have it that to have at their disposal regarding students who are facing trauma or who are hurting? I think some of the things that we've already kind of touched on a little bit, uh, as far as the habits and things would be, you know, having good policies in place for things that, that lays groundwork before events happen. Um, like I said, collaborating with local agencies so that when you get, it's not if, if something like this ever happens, it will happen if you're in youth ministry long enough. And so when that happens, you, you've already thought out what your kind of warm handoff kind of thing could be to a counselor, to a therapist or somebody. Um, And you've already kind of worked with that and built those relationships. And that takes some work and I get it because not everybody's paid. I've been in unpaid positions myself. And so you're trying to balance a job and all that. But, but what this does is this, this extra work ahead of time will save, save you work in the long run and save you from, doing harm in a situation in the long run. So it's, it's important work. Um, like I said, changing the attitudes from what's wrong with this kid to what's happened, um, from, I got to fix it to walk with those things. Um, and then some resources, uh, I'll do a little bit of a plug here for my own thing. Um, I have a, a ebook. It's a free ebook on my website, um, called the four R's of trauma informed ministry. And it takes the, um, SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, they they have some guidelines on what's trauma-informed and what makes an organization trauma-informed. And one of the things is the four R's. And so I've broken those down into what do those look like in ministry um, and did a short little ebook. It's really accessible and a quick read. Hopefully, I tried to make it easy as possible. But if you go to my website, prward.com uh, slash Tim, T-I-M, Trauma-Informed Ministry, uh, that takes you to a place where you can download that book. So that's a, that's a resource. Um, another good resource is a, um, uh, a curriculum. It's like a six week curriculum for maybe Sunday schools or for like, um, if you have volunteers or something, um, it was done by Chris Hoy, who's a chaplain at a facility like mine in a, in Montana. It's called bruised, we brood reads, sorry, bruised reads and smoldering wicks. Um, and you can get it online on Amazon, I think. Um, and I don't, uh, it's not very expensive. Um, so that's a good resource you can look for. Um, and I would connect with mental health professionals in your area um, and find out what kind of resources, physical resources are available. And I can recommend books and list books and, and that kind of thing. But what kind of tangible resources are available in your area? And um, how can your ministry tap into those and access those? And, and that's what's, that's going to be different for every community um, because every community's needs are a little bit different. Um, you know, if you live in suburban, you know, a suburban neighborhood and maybe there's not a lot of gang activity. And so maybe the violent trauma type things aren't what you need to be focusing on more. Whereas if you're in a different community, that might be. And so the resources that your community has might be different. And so I would, I would really spend that time investing in, in building those community relationships. 
Very cool, man. Yeah, very cool. And I will include your website link and those resources that you just listed uh, in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can grab those on my homepage uh, and those will be helpful. I will definitely look into those myself um, because trauma and anything in the mental, emotional realm for students today is super valuable and critical if you're in youth ministry. Absolutely. Um, Well, Paul, thank you again for joining me today. Uh, You're welcome back anytime. I'm praying for you as you continue to help the struggling and brokenhearted with the training staff and resources around you. And at the root of it all, love sourced from the incredible hope we have in Jesus Christ. Thanks again, Paul. Thank you. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Paul for joining me. I encourage you to head to his website and check out his ebook and other resources he mentioned. Those are listed in the show notes. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate our podcast. You can do that by going to ratemypodcast.com slash YMM. Uh, We are getting some Youth Ministry Maverick swag that I'll be sending out to people with promotions on rating my podcast and getting other people to follow them and sharing the episodes. Uh, I enjoy hearing from my listeners and that's actually how I connected with Paul. So if you have any questions about what you're hearing on the podcast or some ideas on what you would like to hear, please reach out to me and let me know. I encourage you to share this episode with those who work with students in ministry or teenagers in general because we all experience trauma. And if we're guiding others, we need to be able to help them in ways that are good and solid and not just well-intentioned. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, adios.